our book, Twin Peaks Unwrapped, with over a hundred casting crew who have participated in this book. It, it, you know, it's a really special book to us. It's $19.99 still at bluerosemag.com. Laura's Ghost is on there. Scott Ryan's also doing a deal on uh, The Last Days of Letterman, which is really mm. good. Um, so there's a bunch of sales happening right now. And I just go on there and you, you get all your reading for the winter. Welcome to Twin Peaks Unwrapped. I'm your host, Ben Durant, and beside me is... Brian Kazanska. And beside me is we have three guests. And I'm going to go that... Wait, I'm... That way. To the left of me. I'll I'll start because you know I'm not shy. It's JC Hotchkiss from 25 Years Later site and the Bookhouse Babes. And besides me is... This is Amber Welsh uh, from the 25 Years Later site. And this is John Bernardi from 25 Years Later site. And we've got Schaefer from uh, the Pink Room Burlesque, and he has done all the performances of the unseen scenes for this show. So he wait, Schaefer did them all himself. The women, <laughs> the men, <laughs> it's all him. In this, in this That's time awesome. of this pandemic that we are in, it was easier for him just to do all the characters. <laughs> so uh, we are getting the performance <laughs> of a lifetime here. I love it. I can yeah, listen to Schaefer read the phone book, so it's fine. Hi. I'm Schaefer the Dark Lord from the Pink Room Burlesque, and I will be playing Special Agent Dale Cooper, Judge Clinton Sternwood, Sheriff Harry S. Truman, Benjamin Horn, State Prosecutor Daryl Lodwick, James Hurley, Deputy Andy Brennan, Hank Jennings, Leland Palmer, Pete Martell, and Mr. Tojimura, and Norma Jennings. All right, so this is we are covering. Let's cover episode twelve here, and it starts off with Cooper. This kind of reminds me of like episode one after the pilot, where Cooper is doing his exercises again. Here, do you anybody, anybody want to talk about that? Yeah, is that the headstand? This is the headstand, yes, right? The it's head up against stand. the wall. Yeah. I always keep thinking that 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 was a that was a direction from, but David wasn't around at this point. Yes, no. He was pretty active here because. Um, the, because the these the the second the first episode and the second episode of the season two he's directed both of them so he's okay. like all gung ho and like I'm gonna I'm gonna really be active in this and stuff so I feel like he was active he probably was still pretty involved and then I'm sure at some point he 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 wasn't anymore again yeah. but I feel like around now he he seems pretty active because that seems I like figured, a direction that he would have given I figure right about now he's getting his episode ready, the reveal episode, because that's what two after this one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're at this time too. He's always going to be playing uh, Gordon Cole pretty soon here too. So yeah, he, with the second, yeah, the one, the second one we watched, Demons. Yeah, and, uh, acting. I really feel like once the reveal of Laura Palmer, both Mark Frost and David Lynch become less active. They've kind of like, okay, yeah. we've told our story. It's funny to me though that now that we watch season three. Cooper's so quirky in this one. He's like quirkier than normal, even first season Cooper. I, it's funny to me, like mm. watching it. So there was a lot to it that I was like, huh. And a lot of Mr. C comes out in season mm. two, where he's not as such a goody goody, it seems like, because it starts to unravel that, you know, we start to get that Wyndham Earl mm. at the end of the next episode. So to me, it seemed like he was more. I want Mead, you know, like mm -hmm. I know that that whole thing mm -hmm. in, in these couple episodes, which was interesting to me. I did think he this was extra quirky. Like he woke up and his hair was all wild <laughs> for whatever reason. Um, he slept some crazy way. I don't know, but I agree. It's very quirky. So it's almost to me like, you know, like, because we know that at the beginning of this whole thing, the giant came to him. You know, if anybody follows 25 Years Later site in my writing, I say that at this rate, it's not the Cooper that we know from season one. It's like the Bodhisattva eminent of Cooper in season two. So it's not even any Cooper that we've seen. It's this like Bodhisattva Cooper. And it, that the more and more I'm like, yep. Mm. <laughs> it just certain things he does and certain things, even like the way he reacts to Ben in, in a scene and, and Harry, I'm just like, mm. yeah, it seems like he was like transformed or something else was put in there or, Right. So, I mean, like, whether it be Harley Payton or whoever's really... Yeah, I, I forgot. Harley Payton's a big part of this. Yeah, that could have been. Yeah. Interior. Cooper's hotel room. Morning. Cooper sits on the edge of the bed in his boxer shorts. Flips on his tape recorder. Diane, it's 6.42 a.m. A bit of a late start due to a persisting soreness in the rib area. Cooper rises tentatively. 
an ache that feels as if a wing were cut away in my sleep. Diane, a strange dream to report. I dreamt I was eating a large, tasteless gumdrop. I soon awoke to realize I was aggressively munching on one of my air pillow silicon earplugs, hence the tastelessness. I suspect some unexpressed feeling of aggression is responsible. Diane, rather than equilibriate through the use of my gravity boots, which could induce further rib separation, this morning I'm going to attempt a headstand. I'm now upside down, my mind becoming porous. The day's tasks coming into focus, objects growing clearer. Looking out in the darkness of the stained wood floor, which now looks to us like the ceiling, Cooper sees a white envelope under, or rather over, the bed. Cooper unfurls and reaches for it. My special agent. Cooper into the recorder. Diane, the giant was right. I did forget something. It was. I thought it was kind of a neat little line that like he couldn't do it this time because of of being Limb shot. Separation. Yeah. 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 It's definitely a Lynchian pace scene. It's like he's on his head. The Zen. He's talking. Then he sees. Then they. Then they pan to the underneath the bed, and you see the thing. Oh, the thing that I was missing. Okay, that you know. And Diane is like Amazon. She gets him everything he needs overnight. <laughs> it's That's amazing. Why, nobody ever questioned that. You know what I mean? Like right. at first, like when you I say did. like Diane's, yeah. I know you, I know you did. Diane, give me earplugs. She's in Pennsylvania or Philadelphia and he's all the way, like there's no way. Come on. It's yeah, a not magical that. recorder. It's yeah. <laughs> I said that Bernardi and I have gone back and forth on this too, because we've been wanting somebody <laughs> to write about it, that, that the way that in season three, the way that Diane was dressed and her makeup and her mannerisms and everything else was very much the colors of the recorder the red right. the black the white and a few of the colors in it I'm telling yeah. you it's it's true i agree with that i agree with that yes. but also uh amber you make a good point the tape so it's like he has to mail that tape to her then she has to do listen to it do the <laughs> things then ship it back like oh my god you're talking about weeks weeks well based on what jc just said now i just think diane is the recorder Yep. Or fate, maybe Diane, I always thought Diane maybe didn't exist and was just yeah. somebody he spoke to. Well, yeah, there's so many different ways to look at it. I mean, I've written I th three different <laughs> angles of this and one of them was that it was all dreamt up by Laura. So oh. she wrote in a diary, Cooper writes it, Cooper speaks into a diary, Diane is yeah. a diary. <gasps> Parallel, yeah. And you know, you could do the whole thing where in season three, Diane was just part of his psyche because we don't know, you know. <laughs> well, and Laura's the one. Because I, 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 will, I will say this to the end of the end. People are like saying, well, if we get more. No, 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 no. If, if, yeah, if we get more, that's if Lynch goes off a tangent way over there. But if it were to end that way, I still say, Cooper walks forward. He says, what year is this? Carrie Page comes to a realization. It's almost like she woke up. And yeah. you hear the same, Laura? that Sarah says in the pilot when she's calling upstairs, but I think yep. it's from Firewalk with me. It's the same one. Yep. And boom, they wake up and she wakes up. She's still in her back in her bedroom and it's starting positions just like Lynch wanted it. There's your little figure eight. Wow. Done. Done. Oh, That's it. it. Podcast and it goes, over. And it keeps going. Well, I'm <laughs> when does she wake up? Where does she wake thing. up? She wakes she up wakes, from the pilot? She, no, she wakes up the day before she dies. Because so she doesn't die. Firewalk okay, with me, good. No, she doesn't die. Well, Fire walk with me, you know, like the day before. Right, right. They yeah. show the setup to when Leland. But if you remember, Sarah wakes her up. She goes upstairs. She said, "Laura and Laura's in bed." Right. So, but she looks at that bedroom, and then the light goes blue, blue, blue. So and she wouldn't they, have died. She wouldn't have died. Or she at least she has time. She or she at least has. Time, or she or no. Or she keeps repeating the same thing. Is what yeah. Same and then we get the same thing. It's yeah. the same. It's season one. Then da, 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 then whatever, yeah. and then season three, it's, and it goes back. It's it's a constant. JC, if we Jeez, just captured everything you just said and sent it to Lynch <laughs> secretly in a room, and you listen to that, I bet you anything you write down a piece of paper, she did it, and then we would, and then you crinkle it up, you crinkle it up, and then he would be like, nope. Nope, she was totally I saved wrong. You, totally time. Wrong. you don't have to watch the. I saved you time. You don't have to watch the five-hour thing on YouTube <laughs> that everybody keeps talking about. I don't <laughs> watch it. I know we're going on a tangent, uh, but one other thing that, like, so Lynch is now doing his uh, Lynch theater here on YouTube. He's got his uh, weather his weather reports back. Reports, I love it. But he's doing stuff. So I mean, he, I, it's almost like he's bored. He's like, he's like, you, you should be focusing <laughs> on just working on Twin Peaks here. Right? Hey, he, he said in quarantine that he's making lamps. That oh, he's man, just, he's, you know, he's doing his thing. He's drinking his coffee mm -hmm. i, love, I it. love it i i love the videos on youtube when you look at them 
they are actually the thumbnails are getting bluer which is weird i don't know if this is intentional or just the way the camera is filming but they are getting blue everything's like blue. intentional everything's intentional i'm so sorry too. lynch everything is intentional his art's intentional there's well, certain things yes sometimes sometimes intentional he'll be like yeah, yeah it happened and if it, even if it isn't intentional he just goes with the flow you know he, right that's right that's what i'm saying that's what i'm saying yeah. All right. So, I mean, finally, uh, Cooper gets that note from Audrey. What's it been? It's been days. I mean, she did, she gave him that note before he went to One-Eyed Jackson season one here. So, I mean, I feel right. like it's been at least three or four days. Yeah. <laughs> it felt like a lifetime the first time I watched it before he found that note. Yeah. Do we want to just focus on things that we really enjoyed in this episode? Like, I mean, this is when the judge comes in, isn't it? Like, this is... This is the, what is it, the Yukon sucker punch? <laughs> yeah. That Harry like downs in two seconds and Cooper just looks at it a couple times before he takes a little tiny sip. The other lawyer makes me laugh every single time. Like I watched his whole thing and I'm just like, oh my God. Interior, roadhouse, day. The entry doors have been closed. The tables pushed against the front wall. Two rows of chairs face a long solid judge's table at the back of the room. Andy escorts Leland past Cooper and Truman, standing near the door, to the defendant's table in the front row. The prosecutor's table sits alongside. Sarah Palmer and Maddie Ferguson sit behind Leland in the second row, along with a few habitual court witnesses. Leland takes Sarah's hand for a moment. The small group stands as Judge Clinton Sternwood, all in shining black robes, strides expansively into the room. A rich, magisterial presence and powerful, uncluttered eyes. He's trailed by Sid, his bailiff. Appraising the prosecutorless situation, Sternwood stops beside Cooper and Truman. Morning. Where's Lodwick, the prosecutor? Hasn't shown. Judge Sternwood nods. There'll be a delay. Took a long constitutional this morning. The path leading down to the waterfall. A fine, invigorating mist in the air. There was a twelve-point buck drinking from the pool. He saw me, but didn't bolt. Time stood still. I, in the presence of the Eternal, I suppose that's as it should be. Ben Horn has entered. Late immediately makes his way to the power in the room. Benjamin? Your honor. A pleasure. Sorry I missed you last night. Your dining room served a wild boar with a cherry sauce that I haven't yet found the words to describe. Judge Sternwood to Cooper. I've been around the Great Northern since the dawn of man. Hammered my way through law school there. Clinton worked construction for my father. In my boyhood memory, he built half the hotel single-handedly. Cooper interjects. There's a door near my room, opening out to the back, that's like nothing I've ever seen. Two-panel oak, all joined with tongues, tenons, and dowels. Not a nail or screw in it. Thank you. I remember that door. Dry-clamped and lying in the sun. Beautiful piece of work. Daryl Lodwick, the state prosecutor, arrives, apologetically approaching Sterwood. Sorry. Had a bit of trouble. Lost my wallet. Enter the state. Sitting alone and imposing at his long table, Sternwood gavels and commences. He's good. He's so good. So good. Really I mean, this this gives more backstory to the judge. I like. I really love the judge. So I mean, I think maybe it was too long for the show, but I still thought it was kind of nice to hear that he he you know growing up you know he had more involvement with Twin Peaks, the town, and and the carpentry and all that. I don't know. It was kind of a cool little backstory on him. Yeah. yeah. I I've never heard that, and I would have enjoyed to more of his backstory at the time. Yes, yeah, Sternwood is an awesome character. You know, you want him to come back. You just want more of him, you know? Mm. He's so yeah. good. Yeah. I can see why they cut it, though, because it's pretty obvious that he's connected to the town. Like, they don't need, yeah. they don't need it, so give, you know, 30 more seconds of somebody else. Right. True. I still think a missed opportunity was, you know, when they're at the, at the bar and talking that if the judge had just done like a bookhouse boy sign or something like that. I mean, I, I don't know. He seems like he would have been <laughs> kind of like in the law. And it seems like, you know, he didn't even have to say anything. He could have just done something <laughs> to say that he was a bookhouse boy. <laughs> yeah. I feel like he was, though. I always felt like he was part of that group. It's also weird you live in a town where you have to bring in a judge. Yeah. Like, you have to call yeah. a judge in? Well, like, yeah. But the, the, the sign says how many people? 51,000. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, for well, that many exit. people. So that's yeah. basically the size of the town that I grew up in. And we absolutely had a judge and police stations, multiple police stations, mm -hmm. multiple 
yeah. elementary schools. So it's very well, the access guide said that it was a clerical error that they um, that they fixed. So like they moved the decimal point back over and it's all good. Oh, so, you God. know, five thousand people. That really does sound about right because it yeah. seems like the town knows everybody. They all know each other, and it seems like it'd be a, you know a few thousand or so. And they got to call in their own judge. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he's an awesome. He has some of the best dialogue, some of the best little yeah. monologue pieces um, in this episode, and I believe the next one. Um, but like, yeah, he's just a cool character. And him, you know, in in the woman he's with, it's like are they together? You get this weird, you don't know. I don't know. I get out of that. Like, are they together? There's something there. Is she just helper? I, just I good know. friends that they've worked long for many years together. Yeah. Maybe. And That's travel good. around in a yeah. camper. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's so weird, weird, weird things. Well, it is Twin Peaks. Yeah, yeah it's true. This is the episode that um, Cooper asked for help from the Bookhouse Boys. He's like asking Harry, like, "Oh, give me your best man." <laughs> you know what's funny about that whole that whole Bookhouse Boys? Because it's so funny to me that when he says "Good night, Hawk," and like Hawk leaves, and I'm like, he totally told him, but you don't. You get that beautiful setup where you think that it's just the two of them going in yeah. to like save Audrey, and the whole thing goes down. That's by far one of my favorite scenes with Michael. <laughs> At the top of the stairs, the guy's there, and he's a famous character actor, too. I had just seen an episode of Magnum P.I. that that guy was in, like, <laughs> before I watched it. And I was like, oh, my God, he's in that, too. But anyways, in that whole scene, he's like, you guys can't keep a secret, or you guys can't, yeah. yeah. The thing you're bad at keeping you're a bad secret at keeping or something like yeah. that, yeah. yeah. Okay, to get on a, a topic, because it's called The Orchid's Curse. You know what killed me mm-hmm. in this is is the whole you know, Harold and how I, I essentially think he was okay. He was a shut in. So he was a little creepy, but he, I essentially, I don't think he was a dangerous person. And I hate, I hated Donna in this. I was like, the reason that that man is dead is because of you. You know what I mean? Like, I just was so pissed. (laughs) Like, I'm like, I'm like, this is why people don't like her. Because yeah. if you watch all things through, I am not a Donna fan. I would, I've never, I'm just not. I will blatantly say that I do not like Donna. If See, you, Donna was my entryway character, actually, yeah. <laughs> ah. to the whole thing. I completely agree that she's a piece of work and like she's not really dealing with people very well. <laughs> and she is to blame for Harold. You know, we, we can't really argue that point, but her acting style comes through so strong in this episode. Like the quieter she gets, the more powerful she is. And that's pretty interesting to me. There are definitely times when I appreciate her, like in the pilot, the moment that she breaks down crying in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Like that is one of the best scenes I think in the in the series. I don't know. It's just really powerful. That it's got me iconic. hooked. Yeah. yeah, it's an iconic moment. I'll give it that. It's I, and maybe it's because I don't like Laura Flynn Boyle and and that <laughs> you know it's poisoned Moira me. Kelly, Moira Kelly fan I, club. I yeah, I like her a lot. And I liked yeah. her Donna better because it gave more context laura flynn boyle played it like laura light well yeah but she was also doing things like wearing the sunglasses no 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 and i know that and that's fine because it's it shows but i think that if you had somebody sweeter off the bat like when she has that conversation with her mother i'm sorry i'm going all over the place but in the in the first what is the (laughs) second episode yeah so it was that old soapy 80s soap Mm -hmm. moment and 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 that's okay because that's what they were going for in certain instances but it made it so like, that's when I started to be like, really? Like, <laughs> it, it just wasn't. But if she had played, if it was another person playing her that played it sweet, like really upset by it, like I'm th- in this thing, but I'm in this beautiful dream. If it was done without an air of contempt, hmm. I think I would have been like, okay. And Donna would have been okay in my eyes. But yeah, she I can see that. Was, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah I, I totally agree with you guys. She really is to blame because they really played with some of the emotions recklessly. They think, and they do that time and time again. I mean, this is the second victim of them uh, playing Scooby-Doo. Yeah, Jacoby, and then, yeah. Yeah, and they don't care. There's no cares in the world who they mess, or they put, they kill someone and they put one person in the hospital. Right. I mean, really, they should be arrested at this point. They lured him out of his house with that diary (laughs) and, like, watched him have a breakdown and, like, pass out on the ground. And still went back. Yeah. Yeah. And still went back and did this. And I'm just like, 
let's do it again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when Harry kind of reprimands her, I'm thinking, yeah, you damn straight, put her in jail. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, come on. I can kind of see, you know, it's like if you really are that close to somebody and they end up dying, you know, it's like you're going to be broken for a little while. So oh, I, yeah. I sort of, you know, I, I can understand her being a little bit on both sides of this. Like, where she sometimes she's very well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I did like when she, I don't, we might, I think I'm on the wrong episode, but when she goes and talks to the headstone, like that is a good. Yeah, that's the other example. one I always think of. Yeah. yeah. Brian and I are together. Moira Kelly's character in Fire Walk With Me to then turn into Laura Flynn Boyle's Donna shows from nice to crazy. So mm-hmm. there you go. So I guess yeah. it's, you know, if you watch it in that order, you could be like, okay, that makes sense. She's kind of breaking down. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. From yeah. nice uh, to screaming at headstones. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And smoking cigarettes and chewing mm-hmm. on sunglasses and Trying to saying James. James, 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 <laughs> you're so cool with your $12. <laughs> <laughs> In 1983. Mr. Tojimura enters. Norma freezes. Tojimura nods. Dinner for one? Tojimura nods again. Norma shows him to a booth facing the front window and hands him a newly calligraphic menu. Norma points out Tojimura to Hank. Luis said he checked into the Great Northern under the name of Tojimura. This must be the food critic. Does he have a ponytail? Norma nods yes. I think he's been here already. What? When? Let me handle this. Hank takes the plate from Norma, moves toward Tojimura, carrying the sliced turkey and mashed potatoes smothered with gravy. Norma looks on anxiously from the back of the room. Hank glides up and slides the plate through the air, holding it for an instant under Tojimura's. Our specialty. He then shoves the back of the Asian's head forward, ramming his face into the gravy mountain of mashed potatoes. Hank drops the plate on the table, slaps his palms clean in self-satisfaction, and looks back at a stunned Norma. This guy's no critic. He's a... Tojimura's mud and cloud face rises. Hank glances down, realizes, wrong Asian. He looks back at Norma's face of death. That was good. That was really good. Uh, he, he played Norma. I mean, all the voices coming from one man. I know. It's so good. <laughs> Schaefer, you're the best. So yeah. good. Wow. That would only have been played for comedy. It wouldn't have been played for anything else because right. you're in or out. I don't think it would have made a difference because it doesn't right. do anything to project it forward. It's funny now to talk about Tojimura in this episode, cultural appropriation, I guess, so to speak, or co- mm-hmm. especially in the media and entertainment and how that they got away with that is beyond me. Even back then, I was like, wow, that's bordering on Mickey Rooney in Breakfast at Tiffany. You know what I mean? And and Mickey Rooney only used makeup for his eyes, I think, and put in false teeth. And that was horrible. It, yeah. It, and to go with this, it's so weird. We talk about his char- this character right now. It took me a long time. I don't know if you guys remember the movie Short Circuit. Where the guy oh, Fisher Stevens. Indian. Mr. Stevens, mm-hmm. you know, my young brain thought he was really an Indi- uh, Indian the entire my adolescence until as a teenager and I saw him in another film and I'm like, he's yeah. not white? And like, seriously, but that it's crazy. He got away. I mean, it was a different time. They got away well, with yeah, it. Yeah, because his career didn't suffer at all. I mean, Fisher Stevens no. was known as a character actor and that's what he did. He was in Hackers. He played the plague. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. when I first I saw Short Circuit. Then I saw, and I was like, "Is he doing my face?" Yeah. That well, that's <laughs> what, yeah. Like I don't like this. Um, but yeah, it's weird, huh? Did anybody else recognize that it was Piper Laurie when I first watched this through? I had no, no idea. I nope. had a I knew there was something off, and like it wasn't right. actually an Asian person, but I didn't know it was Piper Laurie. Especially the scenes with her and Pete, like the one where Pete's at the bar, and he goes, he goes, can I buy a drink? He's like, <laughs> how about a tall glass of milk? Nope. Interior, sheriff's station, reception area, night. The last half hour before closing up, Andy Brennan concludes a bravura evening manning the switchboard. His chest and surrounding area are covered with yellow post-it notes. Andy on the phone. No, sir. I'm sure not the regular girl. She's gone to Tacoma to visit her sister. There's supposed to be a number for her written down here somewhere. Andy begins to look for it, but that's not what the caller is concerned about. Andy listens to him for a moment. Well, I'm certainly not a lawyer, sir, 
But my interpretation of the law would be that if your neighbor's cow has each of his four hoofs completely on his property, but his head is stretched over into your property and he's chewing up your... Andy listens. Well, I'm certainly no veterinarian, but I think I would kill the cow. Right. Okay. Bye. Andy disconnects. A pause in the action brings him to his moment of truth. He takes out a scribbled piece of paper, exhales, dials. Love Andy. I love the impression <laughs> of Andy. So bizarre. I guess so. This episode is actually uh, written by um, Barry Pullman. So I think he, he would write another one as well. But you wonder if like some of this dialogue is like, where is it coming from? But I mean, I, the thing is, other people helped write it. Maybe Harley Payton and other people, but he's the one that's getting credit for it. Wow. Andy's Andy. Harry Ghost played it perfectly. Again, another scene that it wouldn't be necessary, but it would just be funny. But he had all the post-it notes. I mean, I don't think it that particular interaction would have added anything. No. They'd just be for, mm-hmm. for comic relief. Again. Yeah. Seems like a lot of this stuff cut out was more comic relief. We're just kind of telling us information we already know. Some of the early ones, even some of the ones that I got to voice for you guys, some of it was, I think, could have been either useful or it would have expounded on stuff. But then mm. there were some that we didn't even need because this is Lynch, yeah. by the way. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of stuff he, I mean, he goes and goes and goes. So it's... Mm. You yeah, know. Th- this episode in particular just feels all filler, no killer. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Couple more episodes. <laughs> I loved Lucy in this one. Like when she's leaving to go visit her sister and they're all like, we got it, we got it. And they're like trying to get her out. <laughs> oh, and she says, sometimes the can-do girls can't. That's like my favorite line of the episode, I think. <laughs> That's a great line. Is there anything else we want to say about this episode before we move on to episode 13? It ends with them rescuing Audrey, correct? Yes. Right. Michael And Michael Parks plays Jean Renault. Yes. Right? Amazing. He scares the bejesus. <laughs> like, even watching this again, I'm like, that is one scary man. Like, he really mm-hmm. played. And the fact that you knew that he was going for Cooper kind of made it very eerie. He's a great character actor, and it's it it, it stinks that he passed away. I mean, oh, absolutely! He wasn't that old. I mean, but it's weird. The last couple of films he did were Kevin Smith films, Tusk, Tusk. Mm. But uh, one of my favorite, probably underrated Kevin Smith film is Red State. Red State, yep. I absolutely, I the movie's awesome. I know the ending is just it's a weird ending, and maybe it turns people off because it's just like. The old saying is show, not tell. The ending yeah. is very tell. We're not going to show, show you yeah. because it's low budget. So I, I get, I give that a pass, but I love that film. But he is absolutely blows my socks off. He's just so yeah. fucking good in that movie. And Tusk, Tusk. I mean, I'm so glad a director hovered towards him. And if it was Kevin Smith, that was great. Just to have him on screen before he passed away because he was such a talented guy. And it was so cool when I saw him in Twin Peaks for the first time watching this, going, oh my God, I just saw him in two Kevin Smith films and now he's on Twin Peaks. And Is he, well, for me. Yeah. Does he play, not to get off the beaten track, does he play the guy that speaks to um, Uma Thurman's character in Kill Bill when she's down in Mexico? Isn't that him? I think so. I think so. Okay. I just, cause I, he, cause he's such a chameleon in that fact, especially even this role. I think I thought so too. If you get a chance, I not to, but I'm going to, you know, promote our site. Cameron um, Crane wrote an awesome piece about Jean Renault and how he, him saying Cooper ruined Twin Peaks is absolutely correct and he and he does it by what john renault said about cooper and he backs it up and it's a brilliant (laughs) brilliant piece yeah that's a pretty cool scene when he goes after him like yeah that's not for scenes down the road but i but but still but yeah if you get a chance it's huh john it was really it was really pretty it was a great piece i gotta read that yeah is this the episode where at the very end harold cuts his face breaks his face yeah Okay. Back in the day, it was kind of freaky. It was like, oh my gosh. And they end the episode that way, right? Yeah. I feel like it's still really freaky. It's such a weird reaction. Like, I'm so mad I'm going to rake my face and then, you know, trash my own place. I don't know. 
Yeah, it is weird because he ends up killing himself, which is more dramatic, but raking your one yeah. face. That's just I don't make... nightmare fuel for Donna and Maddie, I think. Yeah. Of mutilation. Yeah. I mean, I don't think he knew how to handle like his anger because nobody's ever pushed him that far. And I think having these girls that he might have a crush on or is opening up to, like he's probably never opened up to anybody and then betraying him. He doesn't know how to do, he doesn't hurt them, he hurts himself because maybe he doesn't know how to handle that anger. Yeah, yeah. I have, I took notes because I, I had that kind of person, but I literally have right here, Donna is not a great person. That was my. <laughs> <laughs> so true, so true. Yep. <laughs> and this leads right into episode uh, 13 that uh, we, we start off right off back at Harold's and the girl's running away. The diary. Get out of there, ladies. He's gonna hurt himself. Got a hand rake. He's got the hand rake. Watch out. I'm gonna jump to one thing. John Bernardi, this is the episode what Andy says, your favorite line. I think you're the one who did a great impersonation. You, oh, um, I'm a whole damn town. Yeah. Oh. Sure <laughs> yeah. I, I think you did that a long time ago. You, you did the impression of Andy saying, I'm a whole damn town. Andy could have said, last episode with those deleted scenes, he could have said, a whole damn cow? Aww. <laughs> bad. So bad. This episode is moving pretty quickly. I mean, they've rescued Audrey, and she's telling Cooper things, and I feel like it, we're, we're, the pieces are coming together here. We're close to solving the mystery of who killed Laura Palmer. I love the interaction between her and Audrey and Ben when she wakes up and, yes, we have a lot to talk about, Daddy. You know, she's very sharp and crisp, just like a pissed off daughter would be. But, I mean, she has a really legit reason to be pissed off. But the best is Ben Horn knows the relationship between her and Cooper is something different. And it's not mm. what he thinks, but it is something different. So I love the line where he, she says, well, can I, can Agent Cooper drive me home? Well, why don't we all go together? Because he knows yeah. that she's going to say something to him that's going to mm. incriminate him. So it's just like the whole thing. And you know, you know, and you feel like, you know, sleazy just watching him and he kisses her head and I'm just like, ah. <laughs> well, he spent the whole show like talking down to her and treating her like crap. And now she has the upper hand. This, yeah, she has all of this information. Yeah. Now she can take over the empire of yeah. uh, his, all his businesses, maybe. And Gordon Cole, I guess this is actually his first appearance, isn't it? He, yeah. Mm -hmm. He's, yeah, he's we've discussed, heard but he's, we don't see him yeah. till now. So it's pretty cool that he, he runs into the sheriff and Donna and- Sheriff, should we talk in your office? <laughs> <laughs> you want to talk in the office? Yes, that would be a good idea. And they could hear him through the door because he's just yelling anyway. Classic, it was so classic. Lynch, say what you want about the man. I, I think he's genius. He's a modern day whatever, but him playing this role was the best decision that any somebody made like said hey play it because it's just so out there and so just i i don't know it's just perfect it's just, i agree it's he's right on you wonder in season one he he was i think he was doing the voice on the phone to, to cooper cooper when uh after albert punt got punched or something like by yeah Truman. yeah he did do a voiceover you're right but you wonder if that was just like just a throwaway and then they were like oh now we have to find gordon cole and then they're like oh we'll just keep on having lynch do it well, no, you know, because even on the phone, when he's on the phone with Albert, doesn't he scream? Because Cooper holds the phone away from his... Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we, you set it up. I, I, I think that they had him in mind the whole time. I don't think they went uh, for another actor. I think his, David Lynch wants to be in, in his own little thing. I mean, oh, yeah. Yeah. Even as the voices stuff. And I like the relationship of Gordon and Truman too. That you people don't talk about that too much. What as it grows and as he sticks around, there's a genuine respect there, which is kind of mm. nice. Like lawman to lawman. I mean, because Harry respects Coop, Gordon respects Coop, and they have that same respect for each other. You know what I mean? It's kind of like that unwritten yeah. odd man rule. Yeah. It's funny, yeah. you think about season three, I think Gordon Cole was expecting to talk to Harry Truman when he called and stuff. Like he was He does. He says that. Harry and, and he says, No, this is Frank, his brother. There's so much going on. I mean, you have Maddie, I think she's gonna say goodbye, and there's a lot happening oh. in this. Yeah, Maddie and James have their heartfelt goodbye. <laughs> um and James is just I don't know. You know, they're setting James up for his his uh side 
because I was going to say side mission. Side, is side, side excursion. Side adventure. Yeah, well, side adventure. The show is called Twin Peaks and he's going to leave Twin Peaks to go do something else. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're setting him up because Maddie's like, like, what can you do with James after all this anyway? I think I, the writers didn't know what to do with him. I thought it was really weird because they, he made such a big deal of like saying that he wanted to be with Donna and like they set that up. And then that just led to him leaving Twin Peaks. That, that was just kind of a weird transition. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I feel like all these characters don't know what to do with their anger other than just do something. Except like, for Nadine, who punches walls. Yeah. Right, right. And yeah. slams people. Yes. I agree with Amber. I think that the, right. they did, he was just, his, his purpose was finished, so they didn't know what to, quite, what to do with him. And because his mother was always out of the picture, they kind of just said, well, he's going to be a loner too and go. I mean, I did cheerily as Maddie was brilliant because, and, and they did, they did it perfectly. They set it up. She looked like Laura. She thought she felt like Laura. She, you know, whatever else. So it was kind of, it was a nice thing to see, but it's so funny. Yeah. Like I'm sitting there watching her say, you know, it's time for me to go home. I'm going to go back home to Missoula. And I'm like, <laughs> Nope, you're not, but okay. You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you take John, John, we take one of your parallel universes here. Mm-hmm. I honestly believe that, like, Maddie dies, right? And then James, season two, could have been really interesting with James if we did something with his family about his drunk mom and learning more about who he is as a person instead of this soap opera-esque side thing he goes on out of town. I think learning about his character more about who he was growing up and why what him and his mom had gone through probably would have made his character better i mean it's just weird they just took a left turn with him and they're like well now (laughs) he's with an older woman who's trying to play him and trying to kill her husband and but not just with him they took it off of twin peaks which yeah they should have known even in season three they could have delineated like they did but they shouldn't have went like way off left to center You know what I mean? It just was, that was so extraneous. I know people and people are like, oh, I love season two. And that was great. And I'm like, where? It lost all the, where? It lost all the gusto of what Twin Peaks was about, which was about the town and the people in the town. Now, if they had explored her being in the town and not somewhere, but somewhere like over the ridge or like Carl Rod in the trailer park. If, the, if right. you know, they made it that way and went that side or something, I think that people would have been more like, okay, you're exploring yeah. more of the town. So what I wish yeah. they would have done with the whole thing is like, you know, Donna, she saw the Tremons. I mean, she actually was connected to these people. I mean, sure, she was wearing Laura's clothes at the time and, you know, don't wear my stuff, all that. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, she's actually connected to it. She's um, a couple steps behind Ronette Pulaski at this point. Like, she's mm-hmm. like one of the few people that saw a supernatural thing in here. So, right. like, she and James could have easily been uh, keeping the supernatural in Twin Peaks, even during the whole reset where everybody got yet another restart. Yeah, it's like everybody got kind of a reset when um, when it moved over to season two. Everybody got a reset after arbitrary law. And, uh, yeah, so it's like, you know, depending on which side of those episodes you're talking, you're talking about a completely yeah. different character. Yeah, I mean, even Audrey, yeah. you know, businesswoman Audrey who loves her dad. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's all, all these shifts. And, like, I, I just wish that, like, Don and James would have been there instead of, like, just completely ignored because uh, Peyton and Engels and Frost and Lynch just, like, had no interest in writing teenagers. John, are you thinking that that Donna should have been more in the supernatural realm? Like, oh yeah. yeah, yeah, and then it could have kept the supernatural in the show, like before Wyndham Earl had to bring it in, and like right. you know, like what there's um there's like six episodes of no supernatural unless you consider that like uh nadine and ben's delusions are actually you know supernatural in their own way <laughs> right yeah yeah. Well, I like I mean, that a lot, John, because I think I think about how Sarah Palmer was sitting with Donna, and all of a sudden mm-hmm. she saw Laura Palmer in her face there. But in a way that maybe Donna could have had a real connection with Sarah, and maybe together they would have had more of like trying to find supernatural elements, or you know maybe find more answers. I think that would have been really interesting. Or even if you know the Tremons just you know like Donna happens to be in a place where they are again or something. Yeah, I mean it doesn't even have to be a quest. It could just be that you know they're there and you know something needs to happen from there. 
they yeah, are they there. Could hand her a painting. I was gonna say <laughs> they are there. They're in the painting upstairs yeah. in the hallway or in her mm -hmm. bedroom. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's very interesting. I they should have they should have kept some of the and that's what I mean. They should have kept the supernatural how it was going. Mm -hmm. And then and then I think Wyndham coming in would have been an easier sell. Oh, easy for them yeah. to go back to the cave yeah. to figure out that yes, mm -hmm. there was the little guy, you know, the man from another place and the giant. And yes, there was Dweller on the Threshold and, and, mm -hmm. and Hawk talking more about the shadow self and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. All I always think that sometimes, you know, you had seven, eight episodes of the first season, if you count the pilot, and then you have like 22 episodes for season two. And if they could have had short seasons, like really like it's done today, where you mm -hmm. only had seven episodes, that would have let, basically we're almost up to the, where it would be seven episodes, where yeah. you know, it would have wrapped up with who killed Laura Palmer. And then they could have had a season three, done another seven episodes. Mm -hmm. And it would give them a break to kind of come up with new creativity. But when you're trying to bang out 22 episodes in a season, I think it's, it's a lot. And, and they're just mm -hmm. trying to throw everything they could think of quickly at the, yeah. yeah, I mean, because because I mean, some of the stuff that came back. I mean, and we're getting off the beaten path, but you know, bringing Thomas Eckhart into it and Josie's mm -hmm. story with that, and Absolutely. then bringing Andrew back and that thing with that, and then bringing it's like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, these were Twin Peaks people, but that, and then the whole thing with Lana and the mayor and Doug right. Milford and mm -hmm. his brother, and it's like, you know, like John and I wrote about the secret, um, secret history of Twin Peaks book, which was brilliant as a book. But you didn't have to shove it all in season two to make it, right. you know what I mean? It was kind of nice because now I picture, you know, certain characters a certain way. But at the same time, it's just like it was so overloaded with so many characters. They needed to go back to basics and go with the smaller cast and only certain things. And if they brought in some of the ideas, it would have been, I think, more directly, uh, more direct to us to get. Right. than what they came up with it, yeah. it's just me i'm not listen we've spoke i am not a fan of season two these couple first episodes mm. yes because they stuck to the kind of you know the the program yes but then when they went when ben lost it and went to go fight the south and you know all this stuff <laughs> I, I was like what yeah well, i mean and I think I think what was missing with season two. I mean, I like the beginning of season two, like you're saying, and I like the end, of course. Yeah, like, of mm -hmm. course. Yeah. The red but, room stuff was brilliant. I mean, they right. could have brought that in sooner. Definitely, they I agree. Could have brought that in as as yeah. like a thing in the background sooner. It <laughs> but could you be. imagine if like they used the red room in the Diane Keaton episode or something? Oh, I mean, no. come on, <laughs> yeah. that would be creepy. That'd yeah, be crazy. I think Lynch is the only person that really part of me feels like that was his thing yeah because the episode when josie dies they mm -hmm. do that thing where they have him show up on the bed that felt weird to me it yeah. didn't feel consistent with the rest yeah. of the show well, the when rules. bob showed when bob shows up on the bed yeah the, you see yeah. the little man bob on the bed those mm -hmm. are not the rules that we were set up these just show up i mean but you know what's weird. funny but that actually didn't confuse me because for once it linked to the fact that anything evil that happens in the town is based out of the red room that really mm -hmm. drove it home so seeing bob like that like seeing bob go over the couch was the fact that josie wasn't acting on her own self josie was acting because bob influenced her oh you think that wow. oh yeah i think because i i don't think she would have thought otherwise i think she was tortured and it could have been anybody who touched laura so going back to john's point that maybe if mm. donna had gone through that thing it was she was touched by laura and james and she was touched by laura it will all anybody who was with laura would always have a connection to bob because of the way that laura did oh mm -hmm. ooh, this is getting good and the interesting i, I mean I, was, I, was season i like that you kind of link the whole uh, great northern to the spiritual realm i mean the idea that if you go in the basement and you open the door that you could maybe enter and and they kind of had that I mean, this is going to be 10 episodes later, maybe episode 27 with Ben Horn and he hears a strange noise and he turns and, and mm. that always seemed to, that humming sound always seems supernatural. And then they kind of linked that in season three. So I guess yeah. we could say that now looking back, we can say there was supernatural elements of the great Northern. Yeah. In this episode, we have the one armed man. He is being uh, interrogated. They've taken away his uh, medicine. Yeah. And Which he is horrible. <laughs> we had to get to the truth i mean without chemicals he points and he does mention i believe it doesn't he mention that the great northern he says like no he's at, at the, at the end the last thing yeah. is like he's at the great he's in he's with lots of people 
people in a big da da da. And Cooper says the Great Northern. Right, and then they have him sit there, and they think it's Ben Horn. Yeah, that was a good scene. Al Strobel as as Philip Gerard, and then Mike, and later, you know, in three, yeah, he, he brilliant. So good. That voice, the voice is amazing. Yes. Yeah. So in these community rewatches, I usually ask. Is there any clues that Leland Palmer was the killer and stuff? I mean, I have one, and there really isn't much for this episode, but there's one that now, of course, looking back, we can say, oh, that led to it. When he was with Ben in that room where he's yes. sitting on the couch? Yes, and he's, and yes. he's, picking, at the, he's picking at that uh, is it a white fox. The fox. Mm-hmm. Because I, it's I, hairs, because he was going to place the hairs so they go after Ben and not yeah. after him. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I thought, I remember... When I first watched that, I said to Ben, um, I saw that. I'm like, is he planting? Like, what is he doing with that hair? Like, but I didn't have any inkling yeah. that it would be him anyway. So. Yeah, you time, still guess Ben Horn right at the end of that episode. Yeah, still Ben Horn. I was like, it's Ben Horn! <laughs> you know what's funny, though? Looking back now, I Leland was such a... It, it, his hair turning white was, a, I think, a clue yeah. way back because Bob's hair was like grayish white and it just seemed right. to fit. Like, after that happened, I'm like, there's something wrong with that guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's just, you know, there's, he's not, trauma. he's not normal. Right. Well, I mean, right. I know trauma, but I know. No, I know. But like, that would have been like the big thing. Like, why is it in the trauma of being not just yeah. Lord dying, but everything, this whole world coming to heads, you know, the yeah. real world and the supernatural are colliding within him and the white hair. That's, that's, yeah, I, I, I agree. That would have been the biggest red flag. They're like, mm-hmm. oh, he's a killer. Yeah. Right. And sometimes you wonder if Bob wanted to get caught. Like we've talked about this, Brian. <laughs> you know, he seems to do things. He 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 puts up, he puts up the Bob picture in, under his nose, and it's like, it's me. Look at me, it's me, and you know, his hair turning white. It's almost like, see if you can catch me or not. But Bob mm. will never be caught because he always needs a human host. Right. So if somebody, if Leland dies, that's why it's so funny when people are like, well, what happened to Bob? Well, he went Bob. I guess went back in the woods. But but when he figured out, and he must have set his sights on Cooper. Yeah. What about in season three when he's an orb and he's attacking? Uh... <laughs> well, that's him going back to the woods, but he was trying yeah. to find another host too quickly. Uh, love <laughs> he, it yeah, he's not dead. Interior, Great Northern Lounge, night. Leland is singing. I'm wild again, beguiled again, a simpering, whimpering child again. Bewitched, bothered, and bewildered am I. Ben spots Leland across the lounge, singing to Trudy's accompaniment. Excuse me for a moment. Leland continues. Lost my heart, but what of it? Leland moves through the bewildered guests, holding his mic. He stops at a table with an elderly couple. And where might you folks be from? Twin Peaks? Hey, that's great. And how about those steeplejacks, huh? Leland finishes the song. Applause. Thank you. Great Northern audiences are the greatest audiences in the world. Ben puts a hand on Leland's shoulder and guides him behind the piano. Give it a rest, Leland. Temporary insanity, eh, Leland? Let's hope some of your jury's out there. Then you're home free. Tojimura sits at the bar watching. Finds himself sitting next to Pete Martell. Pete smiles at him. Pal Joey, you like musicals? No. <laughs> so this is a, okay. an, an alternate version. I mean, before they had The King and I, they were going to do this other musical, which I'm so glad they did The King and I. Yeah. Not many people know Pal Joey. I do, because I'm a musical theater geek. But no, it, yeah, it wouldn't have been. People know The King and I. Right. You know, getting I, to know you, shall also, we dance. There's a bunch of stuff, you know. I also like how Pete just turns around out of nowhere and is like, King and I, and then nothing else. That's all. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Schieffer does a dead on Jack Nance, though. That was brilliant. So good. So good. So, uh, yeah, it's so good that he was able to do all these uh, performances. Thank you very much, Schieffer. Yes, thank that. you. Yay. Yeah. Yay. And uh, JC, we got to get you to do some more here. I mean, actually, yeah. I know. We can see each other again. We have to do our live, but who knows when that will be. JC, uh, I've been telling Ben, you know, I think before we end Community Rewatch, I think Ben and me should do some character 
do a voice of some character, I think. Because we've never done it. And I think it's really should. cool. Yes, we should. I do too. Oh, like, yeah. Like one character has like one line, I'll do that. So here it is. Like, <laughs> if we can get to episode 29, there's like a nun. I'll like play the nun or something like that. There you go. I mean, <laughs> let's do it. All right. We'll see. Well, can we go around the virtual table and just uh, is, let us know where we can uh, follow you and tell us what you've been working on, if you're working on anything for 25. I don't even know if I introduced you guys are all part of 25 Years Later site. I think JC mentioned this, uh, 25 Years Later, but it's so cool. I love having the team uh, from 25 Years Later on the show. And yeah, if we could just go around and uh, do you want to start with JC and we'll go around. Sure. I'm trying to make sure because I always forget. So yeah, you could follow me at tw on Twitter as jhodge726 on Twitter. And you could uh, follow also the Bookhouse Babes. It's at Bookhouse Babes on Twitter. Um, and then you could find me on 25 Years Later. I am the executive editor of New Media. So every all the audio you hear coming out, it's Andrew and I awesome. working diligently about choosing audio to be... Uh, done to our patrons because we do have patrons so you could go to 25 years later site and become one of our patrons and what about tiktok jc where can yeah. people see your fabulous <laughs> no i don't even know what it is i have to look it up uh, i think i'm like it, so it's because it does your email i was I'm, told by many people your tiktoks are fabulous they are I'm, at JC Hotch 26. So you could follow me on TikTok. <laughs> I, I might join TikTok just to hey, check these out. You should. Okay. Um, I'm over on Twitter at JPV underscore little green. And uh, yeah, as far as um, as far as 25 years later site, I'm gonna I'm continuing to work on the music 25 years later of all the 1995 albums. And uh, I think I'm gonna be working on Robotech next. Ooh. Now, which, doing one of those. Which version? Of, there's a, a bunch of versions of Robotech, aren't there? <laughs> oh, the original. The, oh, the, yeah. the uh, 85 episode series from like, what, 85? Wow. Great series. My handle pretty much everywhere is Totes Ambular. I'm mainly writing horror articles right now, so there's not a lot of Twin Peaks stuff. And pretty much everything I post on Instagram. I am a circus performer. So that's like all my Instagram is. There's not much Twin Peaks stuff on there. Twitter is your best bet. Well, thank you. This is the first time on the show. So thank you, Amber, for joining us this time. Thanks for having me. I had a really great time. So if you have a comment, question, or a theory, give us an email at twinpeaksunwrapped at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. Give us that five-star review on iTunes. We're on Google Play. We're on Spotify. And Spotify is expanding their podcast services, which is really cool. And we're part of that. And uh, we'll be back in a week or two. See you soon. Thank you. Bye. Bye.